0: that's our prayer this morning dear heavenly father that you would grip us that you would change us mold us and conform us to the image of our lord jesus christ father thank you now as we open our bibles today this first sunday of the new year for the good times we have here lord as we hear from you and by your grace lord we'll be taking it in letting your spirit lead us mold us guide us change us convict us Father, we anticipate today hearing from your word. Help us, Lord, to discipline ourselves to hear and to react humbly without pride or arrogance of any kind and to simply allow you to work in us through your word, to chisel away the rough edges. We give ourselves to you now through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine with me this morning that Fellowship Bible Church is part of the franchise team, a franchise team of the NFL. Do you know what the NFL is? The National Football League. Some of you hate that, and it's caused a lot of strife in your home. Others of you love it, and it's okay. It serves well my introduction this morning. Because if you are a sports fan at all, and especially if you're a football fan, you know what's happening right now this weekend. It's the first weekend of the NFL playoffs. It's wild card weekend. Don't worry about what that means if you don't know, it just means the playoffs are beginning. And if you win, you move to next weekend, and if you lose, you're out. But you know, not all of the teams who play in the NFL are in the playoffs, only those who won their divisions in certain rankings in their divisions. A lot of teams are packing their equipment, spit-shining their helmets, and a lot of them big old boys that you see on television are in their lazy boy chairs or are already on the beach in Miami, and they're watching the game on television. And you know what their teams are doing? They're doing what I want us to do. It's why I want us to pretend we're an NFL team today. They're asking themselves, where are we as an organization? They're asking themselves, what do we need to change around here? What is it that was good this year, and what is it that didn't work this year? And I don't know if you saw in the news, I believe it's up to four now, um, four head coaches of these teams, they make millions coaching their teams, and the owner fired them and said, we we need you out of here. We got to have new leadership. You know that in Detroit, the Lions set a record for losses. They had no wins this year. They went 0-16, a perfect record of losing. The head coach went first thing Monday morning, probably most of his coaching staff. We're going to clean house. We're going to start over. We're going to look at what we're all about. We're going to figure out how to do what we're supposed to do around here. And that's a lot the mindset that I want you to have today. I want you to think about our church. I want you to think about where we are as a church. And as we do that, I want you to think about yourself as a Christian. I'm thinking, where am I as the pastor of the church? Where are you as a Christian before the Lord in your life? And I want to deal particularly with one clear priority from the Word of God for all believers everywhere and for all churches, Christian Bible-believing churches everywhere. And it has to do with the priority of prayer. You say, oh, Pastor Van, is that all? Everybody knows about prayer. Everybody prays. Hindus pray, Muslims pray five times. Uh, if you're in Sunday school this morning, you saw how they pray and what they go through. Everybody prays. I have, some people count beads when they pray. Some people repeat prayers over and over and over again. We teach our little children to say God is good and so forth. And, and we at the supper table or at the bedtime prayer, And I don't want to minimize in any way some who have really done well in this area of making prayer a priority. But I want to continue my introduction and lay a foundation for this message and let you know that I didn't just pick this out of the air arbitrarily. "Ah, We need to pray more or I want attendance and prayer meeting to go up and so I'm going to preach the first sermon and we need a priority. Everybody needs help with their prayer life. As true as that may well be. I do speak to you this morning out of a burden from my own Christian life, out of my own leadership as a pastor, and out of a concern as a shepherd of the flock, that this is an area that we're not where we're supposed to be as a church. Let me make a couple of statements. Number one, I want to preach this message this morning. And by the way, we anticipate, Lord willing, being back in Genesis next Sunday, Genesis chapter 6. I would hope to have um, a couple of messages more now from Noah's flood and and kind of an apologetics view uh, about the flood, the fossil record, what about dinosaurs, a number of things like that, and I think you'll find it very relevant for today, and I think you'll find yourself encouraged that the word of God is so reliable and trustworthy, and it'll strengthen us in our walk. You don't have to be some kind of an intellectual moron to believe Genesis is true. So I hope you'll anticipate that and come next week and be here. But why this first Sunday of the new year that we take some time and challenge ourselves? Number one, it's because I've really observed in my own walk and I've observed in our church and through the years that it's just really easy to be apathetic and average, lethargic, lethargic, and apathetic. Those are terrible words, aren't they? Complacency. It's it's the lukewarmness. I wish that you were hot or cold, Jesus said about his church, didn't he? And I think that if we're not careful, we kind of get into a routine, and and we kind of just do the same things, and, and sometimes the bar comes down, and if we don't stop and evaluate and ratchet it up, we can sometimes become very complacent in our Christian walk and even as a church as a whole. Number one, because it's so easy to live below God's expectation and to be apathetic and careless. We need this message this morning. Number two, because personally, and I don't say these kinds of things often, and you'll know that, but for about two months, I don't think a single day has gone by where multiple times in that day I have had this sense in me that in my own life personally, and in our church as a whole, we need revival. What do I mean by that? It's kind of related to number one in that it's easy to be apathetic. And by revival, I don't mean just kind of a a hellfire brimstone preaching series where we put a sign out front, revival meetings, although I'm actually thinking about doing that, uh, putting a sign out front and saying we're having revival and challenging our church sometime late spring to take put away television, to put away our normal schedule, and to give five nights in a row of revival messages in one week and ask God, through prayer, to revive us again. Because some of us aren't moving forward for Christ the way we should. We're actually drifting. We're not growing. We're stagnating. And I have had a personal sense, as never before in my ministry leadership, that I personally need revival and that our church needs revival. Revival. I really don't even know what that means completely. But I think I'm getting my heart prepared to allow God, in a sense, to come do what he wants to do. It's not always easy, do you know that? There will be confession of sin. There will be a putting away of some of the worldly ways. There will be a lifting up of Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. Number one, it's easy to be apathetic. Number two, a growing sense of the need for revival. Number three, it seems to me that Fellowship Bible Church in many ways is very much where many churches in America are today. And that is, we are really given over to the mechanisms of ministry. We love gizmos and gadgets and new programs and, and uh, new stuff. And if we just get this new church software program, it'll revitalize our church and we can do all kinds of things. And reverting back to the football metaphor. I didn't take time to review the story. It's so old, it's maybe new to some of you, but it's worn out. It's the Vince Lombardi story. Who did he coach? Green Bay Packers? And, and evidently they were in a big game, and they come in at halftime, and Lombardi is said to have been disgusted with his team, and he sits the guys down at halftime or after the game, or whenever it happened, and he holds up the football. Here this is professional football players. And remember the story how it goes. He holds up the football, supposedly, and he points at it and he says, "Gentlemen, this is a football." What was his point as a coach? He was saying, "Look guys, we've got to get back to the basics." We got to get back to where we belong to be, the fundamentals of what we are and what we're supposed to be. I'll tell you something, permeating God's word and God's people throughout God's word, permeating the life and the teaching ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, permeating the instruction of the apostle Paul, it's filled with instruction on prayer. We're to be Where to be men and women and boys and girls who pray. Where it's it's to be characteristic of the Christian life. The Bible and the New Testament knows nothing of a believer who's not given to prayer. And so we ask ourselves this morning, how much do I pray? How serious am I am I about prayer? And maybe one of the reasons that I don't have victory over sin and maybe some of the reasons that that there is this lethargy in our family and in our church and even in our community is because God's people don't pray. Again, I don't want to minimize people who, who are very disciplined in this area and I don't even want to minimize our small prayers or our little prayers, you might say. Maybe there is no such thing as a little prayer. But maybe as we lie in bed and doze off to sleep and we say, Lord, thank you for a good day and keep us safe through the night and for the Lord Jesus. I'm not saying that's not real and I'm not saying he didn't mean it and I'm not saying God didn't hear it. But I'm saying that I don't know that that's the model that we have in our Bibles of the kind of praying that the believer in Christ is called to that changes the world, that changes lives, that changes the church. And I think that we're just as guilty as any other church. If we do this and we get everybody out to this, we'll do it. And we're not praying. And we're not praying up our ministries and we're not given over to, to committed prayer for our missionaries. And we've had missionaries come in, quality leaders on the mission field like Alvin Hall, stand in front of us with tears in his eyes and beg us to pray for them in intercessory prayer. Have we done that? Maybe yes, probably not. Fourthly, and I want to say this carefully as well, and finally, okay, we're we're easily caught up in complacency, a sense need for revival, a substitution for the fundamentals of ministry, the word of God and prayer for the gizmos and gadgets of ministry, and then fourthly, And I want to say this carefully because I don't want to be like a televangelist or something. But I want to tell you that more than any other time in my ministry, and I'm getting older, not younger, and I'm in ministry 25 years now, is that I really believe that the church is in the end times of the end times. And I believe that we have to see that change is coming to our world and that the church is going to suffer. And I'm afraid that we're not ready for that. I mean, you have to see what's going on in Israel today, don't you? You have to see what's going on in China. And you have to see what's going on in Iran and Iraq and Russia and you have to see these things changing in the, and the world community coming together. And you can see things that we were taught for years in our theology classes and in our eschatological messages and in the book of Revelation, that there would be a one world government and that there would be a, an alignment of currency and that there would be communications that would be instantaneous around the world. And when I was a little boy in the 60s in my dad's little Bible church, wide eyed and kind of scared when the evangelist Carl Johnson from Beckley, West Virginia would come to Chicago, Illinois with his, his clock of the ages and teach, teach the end times to us. And I would get scared and he would talk about things because of what Henry Kissinger was doing and what was going on and that we were beginning relationships with China. And you could see the end times lining up and it is, it's laughable compared to the current events of today. And I want to tell you, I think the church needs to have revival and we need to be on our knees in prayer. We need to be ready for whatever we face in the future and we need to, to, to up and ratchet up the level of the harvest of the elect that are out there that God wants in every city to come unto himself. We're not doing it. And time is short. I really believe that. And so this message now in the remaining moments, I want us to do three things. I want us to look at the priority of prayer in the life of the church. And I want us to then look briefly, very briefly, at the pattern of prayer in the life of Christ. And then I want to challenge us at the end with the very practice of prayer in the life of the Christian so that you can take it with you and that we can let the Spirit of God challenge us. You know, when we open our Bibles, it's remarkable how detailed this prayer doctrine is. It's everywhere. There's all kinds of teaching on prayer. And we will not even begin to scratch the surface this morning. But to capture in summary the priority of prayer for the local church, will you turn with me to Paul's epistle to young Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want us to particularly just key in for a moment on verse 1. Let me read to you a couple verses here. But this is 1 Timothy chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. And I want you to see that as the Apostle Paul teaches young Timothy, and you need to understand that Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy in our Bibles, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Titus, these are considered the pastorals or the pastoral epistles. Why? Because they were written, they were written, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus particularly, were written to young pastors by the aging Apostle Paul communicating to these young pastors that this is the priority for the local church. Remember the Apostle Paul had that great church planting ministry that we're given an account of in the, in the book of Acts. And now he's an old man and he knows very soon he's going to be with the Lord. And he's writing from the prisons, where he's these are prison epistles as well, and he's writing to them, letting them know, look, here's how to run the churches, here's what you need to do. He even named some people in the churches. You need to go confront those people and get get them taken care of, protect the church, do this, do that. And notice what he says about prayer in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Let's read it. The Apostle Paul, notice the language. The Apostle Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that requests and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authorities that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. The end goal of our prayer life is what? That we might be a holy, godly, peaceful people. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants, look at this, this is a great reminder, that God, our Savior, wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's why we support missionaries in this church, because we believe that God is calling all men unto himself to be saved around the world, and we have to communicate this great gospel to them, and that there are eternal consequences if not. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all men. The testimony given in its proper time. Praise God. That's our gospel. That's our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And as we gather as a church and as we live out this Christianity as individuals, Paul says, and notice the language, that prayer must be a priority in the local church. Notice his language. He writes in the King James, it used to use the word, I beseech you, I beg of you translated in the NIV, I urge you. There's a sense of urgency. Look, make no mistake about what I'm talking about. There's some urgency here. I'm not just passing over this. And then he uses the phrase there that first of all, of utmost importance, a priority for the church, I urge you, first of all, that you do what? And then he breaks prayer down almost in a defining way using four different words that all mean pray. The first one is the word requests. Some of your Bibles might say supplication. It's an old King James word for the idea of making a request. I take it to be in in the Apostle Paul's list here that as he encourages believers in the churches to pray, that is, that you personally have been invited, Hebrews chapter 4, into the very presence of Almighty God through our intercessor that he mentions right here. The only mediator we have, Jesus Christ. You don't have to go through another man. You personally, in the priesthood of the believer, enter the presence of God through Christ. It's one of the spiritual privileges that you have in the New Testament. It's one of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we had to go to priests who used the blood of goats and And uh, sheep and goats and calves and pigeons to appease the wrath of a holy God and go through the ritualistic part of it. And then, when Jesus died on the cross, the ultimate sacrificial lamb slain for our sin, he who knew no sin, who became sin for us. And remember when he said, It is finished, what happened? The veil was rent. In the Holy of Holies. And what did that mean? A place where no man was allowed except the priest once a year after purifying himself was allowed to enter in fear and trembling. The veil was rent, open for all through the blood of Christ to enter the Holy of Holies. And you have access to God personally. How do you experience that in a more real way than in a prayer life? And prayer is more than just us talking to God, but there is a part, and this is kind of the mystical part of Christianity, and there is a kind of a mystical part. We bring it under the parameters of the instruction of God's word always, but we say this, and we mean, and God speaks to me. Well, what does his voice sound like? I don't know. But you know what? My my thoughts, he, he directed my thoughts. We'll say things like that, won't we? We'll say the Lord burdened my heart You say, the Lord told me I must do this. And we get that in prayer, don't we? We talk to God, but yes, the Spirit of God works in us and he speaks to us. Always under the temperance of the word of God, of course. And so the Apostle Paul breaks this down in four parts. He said, first of all, I urge you that supplications be made. The idea here is of request, and I would take it in the breakdown of these words that this is more of an idea of a personal request. This is me praying about the things that burden my life, praying about the things that I want to go and take before my heavenly Father. Isn't that a wonderful privilege? I mean, you think about it, God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who spoke on the mountain to Moses and Elijah, that God invites me to come into his presence at any time to fellowship with him and to pray with him and to let my request be made known to him. Why wouldn't I really, really plunge into that? Well, there's lots of reasons, isn't there? For one thing, I'm just too busy. I don't have time for that. I'm so self-dependent. Or I can't see him and it's really hard. And yes, we live by faith now and not by sight. It's one of the great hopes of the believer, isn't it? That one day our faith will be made sight. But God invites us into his presence and we pray and we make requests. It's not wrong. Paul says, do this. Father, I pray for my son Jonathan that you will mold his heart after the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would guard his heart and his mind from the filth of our world, May making supplication requests. And Father, by the way, we need a new vehicle. Father, at the end of the month, there's more bills than I have money to pay. Father, my Aunt Matilda fell down the steps and broke her hip. Would you please... Father, would you please comfort my dear Aunt Matilda? Oh, Father, thank you for your interest in my home, in my life. This isn't selfish, but this is supplication. This is me making requests to God. And we do this one maybe more than others. But I think that we're so hit and miss in our prayer life, aren't we? And so Paul says we are to make requests or supplications. And then look what else he says. That request, and then he uses in the Greek, the word for prayers here is the most general word for prayers. And I take it that just all kinds of prayer about the things that are on my mind and the things that that we're dealing with and all kinds of things. Requests and then prayers of all kinds were to, to be made. And we get in funny situations as pastors and we make all kinds of prayers. I'm not a big one to have like motorcycle Sunday and bring your motorcycle in and we'll have prayers of blessing over your motorcycle. I don't know that it's wrong to do that before the Lord, but I guess we probably won't ever do that here. But, you know, it's not impossible, especially as a pastor. And you're in a home making a visit, or you're in the hospital, and and, and there's a little child there or something and, and they're really distressed because their mommy's sick or their granddaddy's sick or something and they kind of channel their attention to their little stuffed puppy and, and they'll look I'm Pastor, would you pray for my puppy right now that it'll be okay? And What are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to do any bad theology. But you know, I'll tell you something, I'm not so sure God doesn't care about that stuffed puppy. And so maybe I'll kneel down and put your arm around that little child and have prayer with them and kind of turn your words a little bit and pray for their heart and the concerns of their heart. And Lord, you know how much they care for their puppy. And we'll ask God for all kinds of prayers. And thirdly, look what he says, and intercessions. And I take it that this idea of intercessions here is is an emphasis on making a petition for others. Do you remember when, I th- didn't double-check this, but in my mind, I think when it is, is um, after Moses and Joshua come off the mountain from the first time Moses received the Ten Commandments. And remember what his, his brother Aaron had done, and this is, we referenced this not too many weeks ago, collected the gold jewelry of the Israelites and had formed the golden calf and they were dancing and carrying on in immorality, and they were saying they were worshiping their God, and Moses smashes the first set of the Ten Commandments, and he's just angry. And I can't remember for sure if that was the time it happened, but one time, God is so upset with their their debauchery that God says to Moses, scoot over, I'm going to wipe these people out, and I'm going to start a new people on behalf of you. Remember that happened? I can't remember if that was the exact time, but anyway, it happened in there. That might have been the time when Moses asked God to take him out and God said, nope, can't do it. (laughs) That's intercession. I don't want to get into a deep theological debate about did God change his mind and and what was God thinking and did God know that was going to happen and, and did Moses talk God out of something? Because it does enter and it reminds us that prayer is in the realm of the sovereignty of God. And any time we deal with issues of sovereignty, we have limited understanding of how it works. I don't know how prayer works. I don't know why Almighty God wants me to pray, but He does. I know that one reason, and I'll reference it later if we get to it, is the idea that He certainly wants me to acknowledge my moment-by-moment dependency upon Him and that my prayerlessness is one of the greatest statements in my life of my arrogance and my pride and my ability to say to God without words, I don't need you by the fact that I've gone the last 48 hours and haven't even talked to you. I got it under control. But back to intercession, that's what Moses did. God says, Moses, scoot over, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses stands in and he says, wait a minute. On behalf of the people, Father, I pray that you will spare them. You do not want to do this. Take my life instead. And he was a beautiful type of Christ right there, wasn't he? And he interceded for the people. He got in between God and other people. The Holy Spirit does this for us, Romans 8. Jesus himself does this for us, Romans 8 and Hebrews chapter 4. It's acting as a liaison. It's me saying, Father, I just drove by the hospital and it's 11.30 at night and I see Charlie Keeling's car over there. And Father, would you bless Charlie in the OR over there? Because I don't know what's going on, but I know people are hurt. And will you give him the grace that he needs right now? And would you just just take over, Lord? Why don't we think like that? Why don't we think like that? Father, my neighbor over there, Father, the fact of the matter is, I'd love to put an elbow up by his ear. I just can't stand that guy. But Father, will you break my heart? And Father, on behalf of him and his pagan family, would you pour out the love of Christ for them? Will you spare their souls from hell? Father, I intercede on behalf of someone else. And you know if you stop and think about it, you don't talk about this. You don't, you don't, once in a while, it's encouraging, though, to write somebody and say, I have been praying for you. You ever get one of those notes? Blesses you to your deepest part, doesn't it? And what does it mean if somebody has the church directory, and they make it part of their life to pray for the, pray through the church directory, interceding on behalf of the people of this ministry, and you don't even know what's going on? And Father Jeff Adels, he's one of the meanest teachers at Faith Christian Academy but he has two students that even wanted to sit next to him in church today. So maybe he's not as mean as I think, but Father, bless Jeff as he teaches at Faith Christian Academy. Father, strengthen him. Help him to impact lives. You remember that? I always get the names of the movies mixed up, but my nephew for Christmas got the video of uh, killing the giants, slaying the giants, facing the giants. It's a Christian movie, Facing the Giants, right? It's about that little... Christian school football team that ends up in the state championship. It's a real cool story unless you play football because you won't like the scenes about football because it's too fakey, but it's real good. <laughs> it's a good story. It's a real good story for all the rest of us. And in that movie, we watched it the other night as a family. It was fun. There's an older gentleman and the coach at the school of the little, the little school, the Davids, before they get to kill the Giants are so discouraged and the the parents want him out as the coach and his coaching staff is, is stabbing him in the back and an older gentleman, he comes in and he encourages him with the word but that guy in that movie, you know what he does? He walks up and down the halls of that Christian school and he touches the lockers and he prays for the students at that Christian school. That's intercession. What would happen at Fellowship Bible Church if we became a church of intercessors? Seriously, on our face, before the Lord, on behalf of other people. You say, I don't have time for that. You need to change your life then. It's a challenge, isn't it? I'm telling you, this thing of prayer is very serious. Well, we've got one minute left for each of our final two points. That is the priority of prayer In the local church, the Apostle Paul says, I urge you that first of all, you be doing these four things. Secondly, we have briefly the pattern of prayer in the life of Christ. And let's just use this to encourage ourselves in the prayer ministry of our Lord Jesus. And this is Mark chapter one. Just turn there for a moment. Mark chapter one. You know, when it comes to prayer, the doctrine of prayer the mechanism of, of prayer, the, the technique of prayer, the life of Christ is a huge area of teaching. Remember the disciples' prayer, for example? The disciples looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And that's when he said, What we all say at funerals and different places, and what our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name and so forth and so on. It wasn't really a prayer for us to recite as a group of people. It was really a prayer that, the, that Jesus prayed to show his disciples how they were to pray. And you can break that whole prayer part, and you can have a sermon series for like 12 weeks. I could probably have a sermon series for 22 weeks on that prayer, on, on all the parts of it, and how Jesus broke it down and showed us how to pray. And remember, our Lord prayed in Gethsemane. And remember, the Lord prayed for demons to be cast out. And, and so forth and so on. Our Lord's ministry was characterized by prayer. But not only that, I want you to see here that he had a personal life of prayer. You wouldn't think that God in the flesh would have to pray. You say, man, was he praying to himself? He was praying to his father. I want you to see you don't have to read it right now but what if in my bible there's a chapter divisions and in chapter 1 at verse 21 it does a caption in your bible say Jesus drives out an evil spirit and then at verse 29 it says Jesus heals many people and then it Verse 35, it says, Jesus prays in a solitary place. What I want you to understand is that what happens in the life of Christ right here and this models for us happen in the context of an incredibly kinetic and busy time in his life where the crowd demands were overwhelming and where his healing ministry was moment by moment and he was with people all the time. All day long, he was very, very busy. He had to have been physically in his humanity exhausted. And then verse 35, chapter one, Mark comes up and it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Very quickly, let me just encourage you with a couple things about this pattern of prayer. First of all, I want you to notice the time. Early in the morning. You say, well, I hate that. Well, I understand that. But what's the point? The point is that it is a time in his life that is free from distraction. It is a time in his life where he's not overwhelmed with drowsiness necessarily. It was before the busyness of the day began, before he checked his email, before he looked at the headlines on the homepage. Before the phone started to ring, not just the landline, but the cell phone and everything else in our world that buzzes and jingles and distracts us. The time early in the morning. It's an interesting note. Notice the place. It says it was a solitary place. When is the last time that you got up in the morning to get alone to pray? I think there's people here that do that. But I would say that it's a small, small percentage of us. And I want in no way to imply that we're to be legalistic about this, that I can't pray if I don't do this. But I want to tell you something. Why don't we get up in the morning and get alone to pray? We certainly are not better off because we don't. It was early in the morning. It was a solitary place. But then I also want you to notice the third thing. I want you to notice the attitude with which Jesus prayed. And we see this in verse 36. Simon, Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they, look at the next word, they exclaimed, Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, the people are out there already. Can you see the marked difference between Simon and Jesus? It's one reason why he got up and got alone, because he knew the masses were there. And notice his attitude was, they have to wait. In no way is this a pattern of a a dereliction of duty. This is a priority of life. I take time, preferably early in the morning. I find a place, definitely a solitary place, And I go with an attitude that all other distraction must be removed from my life. Are we doing that? Maybe because we're not, for some reason, God's just not moving. His people aren't praying. It's a powerful reality, isn't it? Finally, the practice of prayer in the Christian life, and we could really develop this. Let's just look at one verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, as we conclude and Let the Spirit of God finish the message for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 17. I'm going to memorize a verse this morning in church. Oh, I hate memorizing verses. You can do it. You can do it. Two words. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray continually. Say the reference in the verse with me. Ready? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray continually. It's a three-letter word in the King James. They dumbed it down in the NIV. In the King James, it is pray without ceasing. Two-letter word, two-word, verse, not letter, word, verse in the NIV. Say it with me. Pray continually. You know something? That's an imperative. That's a command. That is instruction to us. And I don't have the time to develop it, but trust me. Over and over and over in the New Testament, it is given to us that we are to be constant in prayer. You say, Wait a minute, how do I do that? Well, the first thing you have to do to do it is you have to try, you have to care, you have to have the want to, and that's where we need to renew our hearts. How does it work? What it is, is what I referenced earlier. It is that moment by moment, that hour by hour dependency on God and its evidence through my communication with Him. I get out of my car. I walk across the parking lot to go to the doctor's office. I'm signing my name in on the clipboard. And instead of being stressed out and wondering what the kids are doing or wondering what the lab results are going to be, I'm walking out of my car and heading to the office. And I say, Lord, would you bless my doctor today? Lord, you know that I'm full of fear right now. And Lord, I'm trying to be anxious for nothing. I'm trying, Lord, to cast my cares upon you. See, it's a discipline of training our minds that I'm turning my mind to my Heavenly Father as though he were right with me and I'm holding his hand like Jonathan still likes to do in a walk across a parking lot. And I'm loathed the day when he realizes he's a big boy and stops holding hands with his daddy. We never get too old to hold hands with our Papa, Abba, Father, right? Lord, you know that my company's a mess. And Lord, I hate my job. And Lord, as I go in today, would you renew my spirit today? Would you give me a joy? Would you help me to be broken for the people around me? Father, the phone rings. Hey, I have a question. Why don't we train our minds to say, Father, I need wisdom right now. I really need wisdom. We're reading the newspaper and we're reading the newspaper and we see the headlines and Hamas is flipping scuds over on Israel and Israel can't take it anymore and they're saying, i going to swat you around like mosquitoes here and the whole world thinks it's Israel, but it's Hamas. And I say, Lord, Lord, we need discernment to discern the times and Lord, would you, would you bring peace to Jerusalem? And we continue to read the article. I train my mind to continually be in prayer. I sit in church and I daydream a little bit about whether the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to make it or not. And I look across the room and I see some kid with a cowboy's hat on. And I say, Lord, would you just change that kid's heart? (laughs) Yeah, seriously, I sit in church and just say, Lord, I, I see that person sitting alone. Lord, I see that person is doesn't look strong to me today. Lord, would you encourage them? I continually pray, right? Right? We're not good at that, are we? My neighbors, my children, it never ends, does it? Don't let this be a burden. Let it be a delight. Let it become part of the fabric of your life. Let's bow in prayer. And so, Father, change our hearts and teach us to pray like our Lord Jesus. Give us an attitude of discipline and an attitude that has the ability to to sieve out the unnecessaries. Teach our young people at a young age to pray. Teach our daddies here to pray and our moms, our grandparents. Change our church through prayer, Lord. Lord, may your Holy Spirit now take this where you want it to go and conform us and change us and shape us that Jesus Christ would be lifted up in our church and community and that revival would come to us and that we would have discernment and that we would hate sin and love righteousness and that we would raise godly children and that your mark would be upon us because you are near And we are not anxious. And we know how to pray. And we're a people of power, not gizmos and gadgets. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.